Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of Wildfire Matters, the podcast that covers all aspects of wildland fire management for the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. We talk to the people who manage and protect our public lands, many dedicating their lives to the profession. Today, Jennifer and I are talking with Court Gossard, Fire Investigator and Trespass Coordinator for the Boise District Bureau of Land Management. Welcome, Court. Thanks for having me. All right. Welcome, Court. Thank you. Yeah, coincidentally, Core is now in the position that I used to work in at the Boise District, and I'm happy that we get to talk about fire investigation and uh, someone who came from a military law enforcement background, so that should be interesting. I hear you have some interesting stories that some we may not be able to discuss today, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were but the way conversations. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> But um, yeah, we kind of skipped uh, November. Um, we were going to uh, do an episode with veteran um, to honor Veterans Day. It's, it's a little late, but you know we're still paying thanks, and we're into Christmas season. And happy to have Court here to talk about a little bit different aspect of going from military to wildland firefighting because a lot of people do go into firefighting, but you took the route into fire investigation. So yes. that's. Mm-hmm. This is Carrie's all-time favorite topic, so <laughs> she's so happy for this episode. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> yes. So, to start off, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got interested in wildland fire inves- or fire investigation? Sure. Um, well, I'm 37, married, got seven kids, so quite busy. <laughs> Even outside of work, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> I thought it was five. I thought you just had your pet. No. Yeah. Lucky so, number seven. Yeah. 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 That's He's the best one so far. So perfect. Because <laughs> he can't talk yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, I joined the military in 2004. Um, did several deployments. I got medically retired for my injuries in 2014. Um, kind of hopped around a few jobs and got back as a Department of Defense civilian as a 911 dispatcher. And then um, I guess the bug kind of struck me because fire kind of runs in my family. I'm the third generation now, um, and I wanted to come back home to Idaho, and I started applying to the BLM, and I got a, a job, and just started networking from there. What uh, what type of position did you get initially? I was the uh, contact rep for the Boise District, so I worked the front desk, okay. you know, interacting with the public, selling permits and passes and such. And then how did you get discovered? Well, I I like to talk. <laughs> I'm very uh, outgoing and I like to talk to people and um, hardworking and I my name just kind of got passed around and um, I ran into the AFMO one day and started talking to him and did something for him and he loved me and he's the one that started kind of keying me in on different positions over there and helping me to try and become successful in fire because that's where I ultimately wanted to go. Um, and yeah, and over time, you know, I, I got red carded and I would do stuff during the summer as my supervisor would allow, um, working the front desk. Awesome. So, um, so how did you transition, um, from, or from the military to fire investigation? Well, the transition took a while, um, <laughs> uh, kind of trying to find my, my way again. But, um, I think that the, the transition is actually pretty smooth. I think the military sets us up for professions in fire, um, how we're trained, the training we receive, um, and the transition services out, you know, preparing you for looking for jobs and such. Um, and I think that we have, as a veteran, you have a lot of skills that are beneficial to fire. And my skills just kind of matched up with the position I'm in now. 
Yeah, and so you did military uh, law enforcement. Yes. Yeah. And did what was that job primarily like? Well, there's a lot of different facets to it. Um, I when I was deployed, we did I did different things not law enforcement related, um, detaining operations, customs, um, training local police departments, um, such like that. When I wasn't deployed, you know, it's just like a military installation is like a regular city, and it has to have its police force, and that's what we did. Um, different units would rotate through. Um, you'd do training, and then you would go and do the law enforcement aspect on the on the installation, just patrolling like a normal police officer would. And you did investigate, obviously not fire investigations for them, but just um, regular kind of detective work or investigation. Yeah, <laughs> we would do the typical, you know, when you're just a patrol, you do the typical stuff that a patrol would do. You know, do the initial investigation into certain crimes. Um, and then I eventually ended up working with the CID, which is the criminal investigation uh, department uh, with the military. They're kind of like the FBI of the military. And... Did a, that was more in-depth investigation, the kind of like long-term, a lot more documentation, report writing, um, such like that, and evidence collection, a lot more in-depth than that. Which, yeah, it's kind of a, that streamlined to a fire investigation. I mean, that's what you're yeah. going to be doing anyways mm -hmm. towards the end. Yeah. Right. So it kind of it fit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how is it um, then learning the fire investigation techniques? It was... Um, well, I think having an investigation background already in evidence collection, like reading clues and such, um, kind of gave me a jump start to it. Um, but it was a little overwhelming at first trying to understand all the fire pattern indicators. Um, but once I got proficient with that, it, it kind of just seamlessly meshed together. And it was just like a regular criminal investigation I would do in the past. So you could apply a lot of what you did in the past to that once yes. you got the burn indicators down. Yeah. 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 That's a good fit then. Yeah. Um, so coming from the military, what made you decide for the? And I think you already kind of answered this question, but um, just about it's in your it's in your blood. Yeah. Basically. So my my grandfather <laughs> after World War II he joined the Forest Service and was a district ranger um, down in Arizona and in Mexico uh, doing fire. And then my dad was um, BLM for I think it was thirty seven years. Huh? Kind of traveled around all over the West with my dad. Um, and I think it's just kind of a, a bug that was in there. I grew up around it, um, and I've always had a, a passion about it, always read about it, studied about it, watched videos about it, kept up on the news about it. And it, I think it was just inevitable that I was going to... Become a firefighter. Yeah. <laughs> or some work in some form of yeah. fire. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was your dad's name? Carl Gossard. I think I work. I think you're, I work with your dad in BLM, New Mexico, when he was down there. Yeah. So right oh, before he retired, yeah. he was the uh, state FMO. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I worked there before mm -hmm. I transitioned back to, to Idaho. So yeah. that's cool. I like that connection. That's <laughs> such a small world. It's, I was like, um. Yeah, it's oh. funny. I, I I run into people. I when I was in Gettysburg, um, in October, I ran into somebody that knew my dad too. Yeah. It's just yeah. Uh, he was around for a while. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And when you're in fire long enough, too, you make those connections. Yeah. It seems like you yeah. always run into people that know people or else, mm -hmm. hey, I worked on that fire yeah. with you. Or, yeah. I mean, at your last <laughs> time I was like, oh, there can't be. And then when you said that, I was like, oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. Oh, it's kind of like the military. It's a very small community and you can just run into people randomly. Then, oh, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know I'd run into you here. <laughs> yeah. Around the world. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. So in strange places. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, when you started looking for a wildland fire job, what were some of the different positions available to you? I mean, what kind of things were you looking for specifically? Well, you know, 
transitioning kind of later in my life. Um, it wasn't as, you know, coming in as a seasonal and then going to school and, and doing it, you know, that, that typical way. I'm coming in, you know, in my mid-30s um, with a different background, a little bit of fire experience, but a different background. And um, having to navigate my injuries that I had to get retired from the military from was also uh, um, a contributing factor into it. And so I looked at dispatch initially. I was, because I was a 911 dispatcher, um, doing police fire and EMS, and uh, on the installation in Washington, we would have wildfires too. So there was that kind of wildland fire dispatching, and it just didn't, the timing didn't work, it, and the positions weren't there. And, and so I kind of made the decision that I need to get somewhere in order to kind of try and get my foot in the door and, and do something instead of waiting for something to fall in my, into my lap. And so that's when I decided to come back here, and specifically with the BLM. Um, and once I got here, I was just trying to network and gain skills, gain knowledge, um, and figure out what I needed to do in order to kind of move into fire. So it was primarily, you know, dispatch. And then I didn't really know about fire investigation much. Um, Bob Stroud, I I had run into him a few times and asked him a few questions. Um, but that was about the extent of it. And then once I started talking to our AFMO, he started keying me in more on what it was and the interest level certainly peaked. Yeah. Yeah. Fire investigation is one of those awesome positions and very many, very little people know about it that even exists. And so I think this is definitely something that we want to help promote that position. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's quite an important job too. It is because if we don't know what's causing fires, then we don't know how to prevent them. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And also we want to stop any criminal activity. Yeah. Not only just how, we can help prevent human-caused fires um, by educating people, but also, oh, maybe we need to do some work along the roadways to prevent those accidental fire starts that come, you know, from vehicles and things like that that yeah. we can't maybe technically prevent, but we can maybe do some fuel reduction and and help prevent them from growing. You know, yeah, and you're well aware of that with the yeah. I-84 corridor and all the oh, work yes. that the fuels has done on that to to help reduce the the frequency of fires on there. Yeah, and it seems like every year um, since I've left, <laughs> I go down the <clears throat> down by Mountain Home, and oh well, there's a little a little black spot, yeah. not a big black spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it might be smaller. Yeah, they're getting smaller. So yeah. the work is it, it's working. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. So what appealed to you most about the fire investigation? What appealed to me most was probably well that it was fire, and <laughs> I got to kind of combine two real interests of mine investigation law enforcement kind of aspect and then fire and kind of marry those two together i thought that was pretty fascinating and then the more i read into it and i i realized how it is an important position um and i felt like that would be a good fit for me um taking two passions and melding them together doesn't happen very often and it was hard to you know not try and pursue something like that yeah yeah that's yeah that's like a dream job yeah. You, you found your dream job. Yeah. It's it's an absolutely fantastic job. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Because, you know, when I left and, and Bob was getting ready to retire, it's like, oh, and the future's looking grim for my investigation. You guys left me. Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it doesn't have its challenges, you know, but yes. it's a, it's definitely a great program. Yeah. I loved it, too. And and it's just like, well, fi- like firefighting. Everything, every fire you go to is a little different. Um 
you meet some interesting people. Very interesting people. <laughs> and, and come up with some interesting causes, too. Um, so it's, it's kind of everyone likens it to CSI going out yeah. and doing the investigation, and then you go back to your little lab, but not, not quite like that. Mm-hmm. But, but it is. I mean, you, you're using the scientific, scientific method to just mm-hmm. figure out and uh, your theory of the cause and, and when you can read those burn patterns back yeah. to the origin and actually point of ignition and find that actual cause. It's pretty, pretty great feeling. Yeah. You know, and then you have the, the categories, you know, like it's, I designated it as a shooting fire, but every single shooting fire that I've looked at has had a different way in which it started, uh, which is fascinating. It, it's not, yeah. you know, there's, there's change and it challenges you and it makes you stay on your game to follow that method, the scientific method, in order to get it right. Yeah. So what are what are some of the di- um, ch- um, different, I guess, shooting type fires that you've seen? Well, I that, ha- that's kind of a big issue we're seeing now, the, uh, the shooting type Yeah, fires. shooting was my number two cause this year, um, aside from vehicles. Um, but uh, steel targets, steel core ammunition, um, uh, not on BLM land, but we did have some exploding targets on state land. Um, and then rocks. I think people don't under, understand that, you know, a spark can occur when a bullet strikes a rock. And so that was, you know, I had a couple of those. Interesting. Yeah, and, and especially when it's the weather's hot and dry and then you get those winds, it makes it even more possible for that ignition. I don't think people understand that so much that, yeah, that yeah. you can spark a fire doing just shooting. Um, not that we're discouraging people. I mean, no, that's yeah. what, you know, we, we <laughs> lots of people go out to um, public lands to enjoy them, but it's just they got to be careful with yeah. what they're shooting <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, 99.9% of the people that are out there shooting are doing everything right and they're not causing <laughs> any problems. So, right. yeah. yeah, it's not, shooting's not a problem. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot, and a lot of people like, I don't know, I didn't know exploding targets could start a fire, or I didn't know shooting that could start a fire. And they, but they're usually pretty honest about what what happened, mm-hmm. which we appreciate. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I think it's interesting too that people don't understand like, on a rock there's markings, and so that's like, oh, how did you figure that out? Well, there's a marking from that bullet that was left that pointed us in that direction. So that's the whole thing about investigation is finding those. Clues, like you said. Yeah, little clues. It's same as if you if you shoot a cardboard target, it leaves a mark. A bullet's going to leave a strike mark on no matter what it, it impacts, and so, but it's just finding those impact marks. And the bullet fragments. Which you can bullet find fragments, too. yeah. Mm-hmm. Either embedded in the rock, or you can find them down below, right in the ignition area. Speaking of Bob Stroud, <laughs> he had one time had me running the metal detector in a shooting area <laughs> to find the bullet. I'm sure you <laughs> like, found a lot. A lot. Yeah. How long were you there for? Yeah. <laughs> a very long time. Uh, we see sometimes the um, incendiary rounds. Yeah. Uh, that um, people may not know that they're actually shooting. Yeah. It, and not miss the marking on it or mm-hmm. something. So. Yeah, that's why it's also important to know when you're where and you're buying the ammunition because, you know, if you're buying it from a, a non-reputable source, it could have the, the that incendiary the, aspect to it. The tracer. Yeah. And even the steel core, I mean, people can check it with a magnet. Yeah. Get a little magnet and just check to see if it has any component of mm-hmm. steel. We talked about, you know, fire investigation not being a 
very, I guess, prominent job as far as people knowing about it. <laughs> um, not a lot of people do it. Can you explain to our listeners um, what you do as a fire investigator? Like, day, like say you get a fire call and maybe run us through something like sure, that. Sure, yeah. So um, I'm dispatched with initial attack. Um, so during fire season, whenever we're dispatched, I go with initial attack and if I'm the first one there, I kind of, you know, eye up and figure out kind of a, just a general origin area and, and mark it off. Um, if I'm not the first one there and engine shows up first or a super battalion, they'll, they're pretty good about, you know, hit me on the radio and give me an idea of where it is and keep people out of there. And then once I show up, you know, I'm, I secure the area myself. And then, uh, the process is you, you want to get evidence that can leave such as witnesses, you know, vehicles, you want to annotate that information. If there's somebody to talk to, talk to them. Um, and then you, you take that information and that sometimes, you know, somebody can be there first and they can help narrow it down. And then once you, once you get to that point, you, you start reading the burn pattern indicators, walking around the fire, trying to smaller, like make it, make it smaller and smaller and smaller, putting your flags down, um, showing the indicators that you're using to, to substantiate why you're moving this way. And then once you get down to a certain area, you know, that's when you, you slow down, uh, really methodical search of, you know, a specific origin area or an ignition area. If there's evidence to collect, you collect the evidence, photograph, um, documentation, everything's documented. Um, you do your sketch, your photo log, you fill out, as, like, as you take your pictures, any evidence, witness names, it's annotated, right? If there's evidence to, to collect, <clears throat> you go ahead and collect the evidence and then release the origin area to to whoever the IC is. And then from that point, you return to the office and then you start the grueling amount of paperwork <laughs> that's involved. <laughs> the and follow-up if there's yeah, follow-up. And if yeah. there's follow-up, yeah. I do a lot of coordination with um, our special agent and then our, our law enforcement rangers to help me with that aspect of the follow-up, especially if it's interviewing individuals that are not present at the fire. Yeah. Um, you talked about flags. Mm -hmm. um, what, like, can you explain the flags and like their purpose and what they're doing? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we have several different colors of flags, red flags we use to mark our advancing indicators, yellow flags we use to uh, mark our lateral indicators, uh, blue flags we use to annotate our or mark our um, backing indicators. Then we have two other colors. We have a, like a lime green and a white. Um, I put lime green flags on areas of interest, or or maybe if I'm a little bit confused in an area, I'll put a, a lime green flag down there. And then our white flags are used to indicate um, evidence. So, and then those kind of once you step back and you see all those colors, it kind of paints a picture with those colors of how the fire was behaving and how you use that fire behavior to read it backwards to where it started. Yeah, I know when I first started with fire investigation, we didn't have that technique and it does really help it yeah just really helps it, i'm a i'm a visual. i'm a very visual person yeah. so it's it's nice if especially if i'm getting closer and i'm getting confused it's it's nice to be able to kind of step back and then i can walk around and i can see it and be like okay that's why i was confused and then i can go back into it yeah. so it would be much harder to do it <laughs> well and then when you're taking pictures you know you're just oh yeah it's obvious it's running here and you yeah. know and you try to just explain that to somebody if you have to go to court or something yeah. you know yeah. and but if you have the flags and you show the indicators then you can really yeah. explain that yeah better. it makes it much easier for those that aren't privy to how 
fire behaves to yeah. give them a visual picture of what the fire was doing and how you use that to get right here. Yeah. And I think that's a key component, <clears throat> component of understanding um, the fire progression is the fire behavior. I think that is one thing that I think definitely should have and understand of like, okay, that's where it's going. It moved this direction. It, the wind took it this way. And that'll help explain when you're doing the documentation. But yeah, understanding the fire behavior for sure. Yeah. And that's why it's also very important to record the weather as soon as you can get out there because the weather can constantly change. And you want to be able to, you know, if I take the weather at, you know, an hour and a half after I get there and the wind has shifted, you know, it's, it's harder for me to have concrete proof that the wind, well, it wasn't really blowing that way. It was blowing that way, this way. And that's why the fire was going this way. Yeah. It, it makes, it does make it confusing too. You go out there and it's like, wait, <coughs> wind's blowing in the opposite direction. It should be for these indicators, but yeah. it's because we had wind shift. Yeah. yeah. And that's why it's also important to try and grab those witnesses out there because yeah. they can, they can attest to what the weather was doing at the time. If the wind had shifted since they've been there. And I had a couple this year where, I got really confused and I found a witness and he was telling me about the weather. And then he talked to me about how the wind had shifted and the smoke then came over the road. And I was like, Oh, then it just, you know, it clicked <laughs> in my head. Okay. There, there was a wind shift there. That's, yeah. So I was able to go back and, and finish it. What's really fun is when crews do burnouts and they don't tell you. <laughs> you have multiple yeah. starts or yeah. you're like, what's going on here? Yeah. Yep. I had a couple where I was, I ran across some fusee slag, and I'm like, "This this shouldn't be here. I don't, how did I get here?" But there's some flower seeds there. That was that was easy. Fire boot marks. Yeah, <laughs> I just you know was able to get a hold of the the division, and they're like, "Yeah, we we burned off that spot, so I can just annotate that." Yeah, yeah. I say sunflower seeds because a lot of our yeah. crew members mm -hmm. like to eat sunflower seeds. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. it's like, mm. Mm -hmm. I'm picking that up as evidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, can you um, talk a little bit about like the different causes? Um, you said fire, um, like a shooting, was um, your second cause. Yeah, to, is it like to vehicle? To, yeah, vehicle yeah. and vehicle. It's not just like oh, you know, this car started it. It can be um, carbon deposits from the exhaust, um, catalytic converter pieces, chain drags. Um, we had several overheated vehicles that pulled off. And they parked above grass, and the transmission caught it on fire, or the rear differential caught it on fire. So there's different. There's a lot of different components to a vehicle that can start a fire, but that's our number one. We have you know I-84, major interstate, and then we have a couple big highways that run through our district as well. That right. Well, we we used to see a lot like flat tires dragging um, people, not maybe realizing it on their trailer. Mm -hmm. They get a flat and drag yeah. it. Um, yeah, just. Uh, so really just maintaining your um, trailers and vehicle tires yeah. is, is really important, especially when it's hot. And yeah. then boat trailers, too. Yeah. You're taking the boats in and out. And yeah. The chains. And Trailer tires are, are easily overlooked for maintenance. Yeah. So. Well, and they get overloaded, too. Some Correct. of the trailers get mm -hmm. overloaded. Yeah. And then yeah those warning signs are there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Not to <laughs> yes. exceed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, those are my two main cause categories, at least this year um, and, and the previous year. With Forest Service, seems like a lot of times we'll have like campfire type causes. Um, do you see many of those? Or no, I didn't see any last year, and then but I did have one this year, um, and I was kind of surprised. Yeah. Wow, an actual campfire <laughs> fire on BLM land. Yeah. Yeah. So that one kind of took me for surprise, but yeah, that's not a, a very high frequency that we, that I see on the Boise district. 
Yeah, I don't know if, how many people like to go out to BLM and just that's, camp. And, I was going to say, it's usually a bonfire party or something. Yeah. They or along the river or yeah. yeah, Yeah, it's either those, you know, or in, in that kind of, of like a deep canyon area where it can kind of be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I'll make my plug for uh, campfire safety <laughs> right now by saying, <laughs> yeah, just because it looks out doesn't mean it is out. And True. a lot of times people really forget about... Um, feeling it for heat um, and that wind picks up and Mm -hmm. those embers underneath are just sitting in there hot and then they get blown out of the fire and off we go and no one's there. Yeah. Yeah. It can can smolder there for several days. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some other common causes? Well, I had um, fire use. So fire use would be, you know, an individual trying to, you know, burn some weeds on his property or, burn some tumbleweeds along his fence line and it escapes. Um, had several of those this year. Um, but for the most part, it was um, shooting in and, uh, the vehicle. Not as many fireworks fires this year, that's which is definitely a good thing. So really some messaging good, yeah. must be getting out about that. Yeah, hope so. Yeah. That was always my nemesis, fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are fun, but <laughs> yeah. they cause fires. Yeah, and they leave a lot of evidence in and out of the fire area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. What are some other ones we've had besides arson? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I, I, had, I had some incendiary fires this yeah. year also. Yeah. Intentionally set fires. Yeah. Which is never a good idea. Never a good idea. No. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, whatever motivates people, it, it puts everyone at risk. It certainly and, does. And, you know, you're spending time on those fires. Your firefighters aren't on other fires. Mm-hmm. I know there was for a couple of years they had the um, <coughs> the celebration with the, the lanterns uh, or yeah. the mm-hmm. oh yeah the, the sky, sky lanterns. sky lanterns yeah for a couple of years when I was there that was something that <coughs> people were doing for um, cel- like Fourth of July or weddings or something and they just let like let them off and because they, yeah. they don't know where they're going to land and there right. were some fires there and they actually leave the evidence because that <laughs> yeah. can actually can well, well, stays there yeah well and we have had you know mylar balloons so when people release balloons for birthday parties or whatever, a special occasion, they have come down somewhere and we've had several come down on power lines that end up melting it and it drops to the ground and starts a fire also. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. You mentioned power lines. Mm-hmm. A lot of different things can cause Many different power things, lines yeah. <laughs> to ignite. Yeah. I had one that got struck by lightning this year. Um, someone maliciously threw stuff into a wire that started a fire. Birds in the power lines. Yeah, we've Birds. had people shoot at lines shoot too. Shoot at lines too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, birds and power lines. Mm-hmm. They don't mix. They don't. No. <laughs> you know, for, for guys. But yeah, it was it was a it was a year in which we had a lot of a few, and then very few of a lot of the different categories. Interesting. Which is you know it can help us drive our messaging for next year in prevention. For sure. Um, how many human caused fires did you have this year? I had. Let's see. That I investigated on BLM land, I investigated 39 on BLM land. And then I assisted um, Forest Service, state, and local on 24 fires. Is that like average? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's about average. where our average is. Um, it, the, I think the five-year average is about 62, if I remember yeah. correctly. I know um, a few years I had some, like, we 89, yeah. 90 fires. It's just that we started early. Um, 
April, May, and just, I remember, oh, one May, we had a fire almost every day. With just one of those dry, dry winters. And us, and people didn't really realize you're coming in. I mean, it's still spring. It's cold outside, but it's dry. Yeah, it's dry, yeah. <laughs> and it's windy. Yeah, we had a couple that started in March this year. That, yeah. Um, you know, kind of threw us for a loop, but. And then, then you're kind of then you're thinking, oh no, it's March. It's only March. And yeah. you're <laughs> starting fire well, season. And a lot of the leftover fuel from last year, it's snow matted. I know, yeah. like, yeah, that one year, I think it was like March, April, and it was just like the dry from the year before because it, it grew, but then it was like the snow mat. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like it's, it's April, but people are burning. It's still going to burn. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So do you see very many smoking caused fires or? No, I did investigate one fire this year when I was on an assignment in New Mexico that I determined to be smoking. But here on our district, I didn't um, determine that any were caused by smoking. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. It's um, a very particular set of um, circumstances that need to be met in order for, for it to ignite. Right. One time we actually did an experiment just to see. It's like, okay, because grassy field types, it's pretty hard to get mm-hmm. them to start um, not we're discouraging people from throwing out lit cigarettes. Yeah. But <laughs> um, we tried a punky log that was dry and just put a cigarette in it, and it just ignited. Like, yeah. and Or a pine needle duff or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. That finally particulated fuel bed is important, and yeah. it's kind of hard to get, especially along the roadsides. Right. But you still shouldn't throw your cigarette butts out. No, because no. it's still trash. Yeah, it's still littering. littering. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people think, and like flicking your... Like they call it flicking their big out, flicking it out the window. They're like, oh, yeah, it starts all the time. I'm like, not really, because, you know, the and we've done tests on that, too, the velocity of going it back behind. and Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the cigarette the vortices of yeah. the wind it, it and everything. Typically, and that, we'll tuck it in behind the vehicle. Yep. Yeah. And, and that burns out before it actually hits yeah. anything that's going to ignite it. Yeah, well, so. and a lot of the manufacturer companies have these different, I don't know how they do it, but to keep the the lit part, oh, the cherry, mm-hmm. um, a certain temperature, and then if, it, if there's no... Um, smoking going on, it puts itself out. Right, the self-extinguishing ones. Yeah. Just how, how about some any any strange causes that you've come across? We we have had a lot of RV fires this year, where um, individuals on BLM land um, somehow getting their RVs or campers ignited spread <laughs> to the wildland fire. Hmm. It was kind of we had a string of it there for a while, and about July. It kind of threw me for a loop there. Yeah. It, that those are hard too because you know I I'm qualified in wildland fire investigation, so I can only pull it to where it ignited the wildland, and then from that point I have to you know coordinate and work with somebody else that can do structure stuff because it's technically considered a structure to determine how it came from that RV and spread to the wildland. Yeah. I know I've worked with, we had a few vehicle fire, type fires that vehicles actually caught on fire and then started mm-hmm. the wildland fire and Colin, the state fire marshal, has yeah. some really good people that can help. They're amazing. They have amazing people. Yeah. <laughs> you have to deal with it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, how, how they can figure out from looking at the burn patterns on the vehicle and trace it back mm-hmm. to some wiring yeah. or something yeah. is, is pretty mm-hmm. amazing. It is. Yeah. yeah. I, I learned a lot and we actually, I had the... Um, his name escapes me, but our local ATF guy helped me on one of them, which was, you know, I learned a lot from that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think part in that, this field, partnerships, like every other one, is just very important because of the skill set, mm-hmm. too, as well. Yeah. I know I had a strange one. It involved a power line and a bird, but 
we couldn't find the bird because we called it flying fish fire. Uh, I've heard of this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I got to tell a story now. Because. Yeah. <laughs> Just because. But um, we were investigating the fire, came along the power pole. The line looked great. Um, there, I mean, there wasn't anything that significant on it. There wasn't any um, marks or no, no downlines or anything that we could see visually. We're walking around the pole. We, we got it to that, but it, it started underneath the pole and found a lot of fish, balls of fish scales and thought that was kind of strange. And then start looking a little bit more at the pole and got the binoculars out and um, looked up and did see a um, trolling line. Um, hanging from the pole with some spinners, some metal spinners. We're like, oh, that's really interesting. And then as we looked more in the origin, we discovered another spinner on the ground that had a mark on it, like a, an arc mark on it. So Bob Stroud famously <laughs> theorized because we were by a Lucky Peak and their osprey in the areas, and apparently they regurgitate the fish scales or something, but there was... Uh, bird feces on the pole too so okay so a fish got away from a, a fisherman in the lake had the trolling line in osprey went down got the fish went up to the pole ate ate the fish the line dropped out on the power line and eventually enough wind and how it just hit the hit the line and arced and sparked a fire yeah so it's it's sometimes you get these crazy yeah, things. Yeah, crazy things. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I'll run into oh, yeah. to some more crazy <laughs> stuff also. Yeah, yeah. the craziest. Well, the, the strangest thing that happened to me this year was a vehicle fire going up towards uh, on Highway 21, and he had a box of ammunition in his vehicle that was cooking off. Oh no! Yeah, so that made it a little bit interesting <laughs> for when we scary. first arrived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bet you the people were swerving. Another part of your position is fire trespass coordination, another job we are really very familiar with. <laughs> so and all familiar all, with us. Know all too well. <laughs> um, it's the least fun part of the job, but um, very important very as well. Important, yes. um, can you tell us a bit about that? Because you, you do trespass coordination. Yeah, since now. I am the trespass coordinator too, I do a lot of the, the follow-on um, administrative work um, and, you know, a fire trespass, I wrote down here, an unauthorized fire on BLM lands where ignition is a result of human activity and there's evidence of negligence or intent. So that's how we determine if it's a trespass. And then from that point, um, we have, you know, all of our administrative paperwork that we put together, our origin and cause report, our, our photograph logs, our witness interviews, maps, um, all that. Uh, we work in close coordination with um, the state coordinator um, and... Um, Which they get reviewed, yeah, and they work with the solicitor to get the cases reviewed, and then um, we'll, we'll determine if it's negligent or not, and um, we use that to determine if we're going to seek restitution um, for the individual. If if we have identified an individual who started the fire, to seek restitution for the fire. Um, so coordinating, you know, that the amount of cases that's. It's pretty much what I do, you know, 30, 38 or 39, I believe, this year. Wow. Um, that will, you know, get reviewed and coordinate um, to seek restitution on. And how does that process work then? Um, so I know there's a criminal side of things, so you could take it criminal. Yeah. Um, and then um, 
as far as fire trespasses, if it's administrative, it's more if it's like negligence. Yeah. You have to prove negligence you on that prove, part of it. Yeah. yeah, you have to prove the negligence there. And then you work, um, we're kind of like, I, I term myself as like the district liaison. I help coordinate between the agency administrators, um, the state director, and the solicitor's office um, to meet with the individual, um, notify the individual, and see if we can come to some kind of agreement um, in the restitution amount. Because yeah, fires can be very expensive. Very expensive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, depending on what assets are used <clears throat> during the course of fighting the fire. Yeah, yeah. it seems like we did a lot of um, negotiating the costs on fires just yeah. because of, you know, we don't want to break anybody's bank. Yeah, we certainly don't want to, you know, put anybody out of house and home and, yeah. and do anything like that. But if there is a negligent aspect to it, you there needs to be recompense for for the fire. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a good deterrent for people to know that oh, they could yeah. possibly have to pay for a fire yeah. that they start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, be a little bit more careful out there. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. But yeah, so that's that's what a lot of that's what happens a lot in the off season is that 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 yeah. behind the door coordination, um, getting cases reviewed and preparing documentation for signature to be sent out to responsible parties following up with them and having conversations yeah and you know coming with my background in in report writing it's certainly helped me and um filling out our reports and and kind of fine-tuning um how it's done and it's not too overwhelming to me i've written a a few reports (laughs) yeah and that um next level he's talking about the the state office and solicitors that's like us you know reviewing that and just look, getting in a different set of eyes and perspective and then asking those questions like, okay, what does this mean to actually enhance the the report to where when it goes to the solicitor's office, it has more of that, um, it's more solid of a case, um, things like that. But that's definitely um, over the years reviewing cases, different perspectives and eyes on that is always helpful and important. Yeah, I always appreciate someone else looking at my work because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you can get kind of tunnel vision and you may miss certain aspect and that's why peer review even before it gets sent up doing peer review having somebody else even if they're not qualified and they're not writing reports just a different set of eyes that can you know okay, so, well that way something they might see that they don't understand but you know yeah. you, you need to explain it a little bit more yeah, yeah. more clearly yeah. yeah not use a bunch of technical jargon <laughs> right. i was going to yeah. say because the technical jargon type is yeah. what's important too yeah right. you can it, it can be really easy just to insert technical jargon and you wouldn't even recognize it because you're so used to it it's not technical to you yeah all the acronyms <laughs> yeah right. yeah well, and then you're following the scientific methods through the whole process, and that can get yeah. a little technical, too. Yeah, especially because we have to eliminate causes. We can't just be, say, this is the cause. We have to show how we determine that this is the cause, and we have to go through all these different cause categories and show how they are not a cause. Um, and that can get pretty in-depth, especially if you have, if you go into a fire and you determine it to be a shooting fire, but you have glass, and then you have a power line above, and then you have, um, you know, a cigarette there. You know, you have to yeah. determine, like, go through each one of those and say how that is not the cause, right. and it can get kind of lengthy. Yeah. Well, and taking these different causes into consideration, um, but yeah, it's yeah. based on conditions and what yep. you're seeing in the origin and how the fire burned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's. But that's the interesting part too. It is very interesting because, uh, you know, using a, just explaining things and how it's not a cause, um, 
just further builds how what you determine to be the cause is the cause. But in <laughs> your, and you're doing the scientific method, which um, if you stick to that, you're going to be you're going to be golden. And I guess <clears throat> to give the listeners come kind of like background on your training, um, what course of training did you have? How long did you have to be in that training? So for fire investigation. Yeah. So I went to um, FI 210 and it was a week long course. Um, I went to one in Vernal, Utah. Um, that's wildland fire origin cause determination. Correct. Yes. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did that. And then, you know, I had my position task book open already um, and just continued working on, on that. Um, did an assignment in New Mexico, uh, which helped. But that was the extent of the, uh, the wildland fire investigation training. And that's like, a, I think that's a week long training. Yeah. yeah. Week long training. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other, other types of, um, Things you might find as evidence people don't think about are tire tracks. Yeah, so tire tracks, um, Print. footprints, um, trash can even be evidence, um, depending on if it's if you're pursuing it in a certain aspect. If there's a criminal aspect to it, um, trash can certainly be, you Find know, important receipts. Or receipts, yeah. I found a magazine um, front page one time had like an address on it. So that's the thing. It's like, don't, yeah. I mean, you th- oh, it's just trash. But like you said, receipts take you back to what gas station you went or yeah. Walmart or <laughs> the magazine covers. I mean, so yeah, yeah. just get another it. plug not to throw out your trash. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Don't litter. Don't litter. litter. We'll welcome. Talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you know another aspect that is evidence that we don't get to use a lot, but can be beneficial is surveillance cameras. Uh, su- su- yeah. Surveillance cameras. Um, there are certain areas where we do have fires where those are around. Um, it's just something to think about. Mm-hmm. And how many people are actually watching you? True. Yeah, <laughs> and have mm-hmm. videos. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Possibly have some of that. That that's helped with some of our investigations. Just asking the public, hey, if you've driven by this area, can help narrow down the origin too, just by mm-hmm. initial. Um, pictures or, or video yeah. of, of the area so. yeah i've had several this year where um you know a bystander just took a picture mm-hmm. and by the time i got there the fire had quadrupled in size but i was able to use a picture to help me narrow it down even even better yeah. and there can be things within the picture that you don't even think about right. there was there could be a person in there and then now you have i don't I haven't seen that person but that's somebody that can potentially or a vehicle at the scene that maybe it's gone by the time you get there yeah so another a plug to um, public, <laughs> if you are going, driving by a fire <laughs> and it looks small to start, you know, take some, snap some pictures if you can. And yeah. And to give a pat on the back to our fire guys here in the Boise district, they are phenomenal with pictures and information for investigation. Um, they'll, if they see something, they, they let me know, which is certainly a benefit. Trained them it's well. Like, tra- Gary trained them well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> You're the Takes recipient a long time. of yeah. training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. No, and, and we do rely so much on um, those first responders, first people at the scene, what they're seeing, whether what the fire's doing, but also who they identify. And sometimes when they show up and you're not there yet, the vehicle or whoever called it in may have started a fire. They're like, oh, they're here. They're going to take off. Mm-hmm. But if they can stop them or at least get information with their car. And yeah interview them later but yeah. yeah they're very helpful yeah it's definitely a huge benefit because i'm one person right and, you know there are many yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i just remember yeah. carrying around like okay i have my camera my clipboard i have all my flags my vest with all my invest you know evidence collection stuff 
<laughs> going out to the scene. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of extra equipment that goes into being a fire investigator and, and in in addition to the safety All equipment that, that yeah. you have to have. Yeah. Cameras, uh, binoculars, um, evidence collection yeah. materials, uh, all of our pin magnets. flags, magnets, tweezer of yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite a bit of stuff. But it's all really beneficial. So. Yeah. Measurements too. Measurements. Measuring tapes, numbers. Yeah. I think that really helped us with the vehicle starts on the interstate is like just measuring the distance of where things were, you know, coming off of vehicles, mm -hmm. how far out they would go in the grass and, and could determine then, oh, okay, and that's probably how far we're good to clearing that area mm -hmm. along the roadways to keep fires from starting. So Court, what advice would you give to service members that are transitioning from military into civilian life and, and maybe looking for work? Take advantage of the transition services that the uh, military offers, uh, whether you're Marines, Air Force, Army. Um, when I was transitioning out, um, we had uh, every branch in there with us when we were transitioning and they help you do financial planning, um, resume work, um, job outreach, um, educational benefits you know there's a whole litany of things to do and don't take it for granted um, use those resources because it may not seem like much at the time but they highly benefited me in preparing myself to get to where I am now um, it took a couple of years to get to where I am but they were a huge benefit and they're there um, so take advantage of every opportunity that you have for those transition services and even uh, working with the VA afterwards if you're able to, because they're not, they're more than just a, a health clinic. Yeah, they can help, yeah, help you with, um, housing, educational benefits, you know. So how long were you in the military? I was in the military for a total of 12 years, from 2004 to 2016, before I got medically retired. And then, and then went through the transition yeah. services and... Yep. Found yep. your dream job. Yeah. <laughs> it took a little bit, but I got there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really happy you're there. Cause yeah. It makes me feel better not leaving it <laughs> all behind. Yeah. With no one there to take care of it. <laughs> yeah. But even like any program in FIRE, I, I would recommend if you're a service member and you're physically able to, to, to look into it. It's, it's an amazing program, especially that the BLM has. Yeah, we have a handful of veterans fire crews that help help with that transition too. And I know I've talked to a couple of them, and they've said that transition was yeah, it can be very you know robust and just you know kind of like scary. But having that transition and help and people on these crews, especially if they're already their veterans, help through that process too as well. So BLM does have some great veterans programs and support yeah. that we have. Yeah, and I think service members fit in really well with the fire program. Yeah, the structure, the incident mm -hmm. command system, mm -hmm. and just how we're structured. Yeah. Fighting fire is similar to, well, not, I wouldn't say combat, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a different, you're combating something different. Yeah, now. correct. But, but you're mm -hmm. all still working together. You have to rely on the person next to you. And, yeah, and it's hard work. <laughs> and it's hard work, yeah. Yeah, they did say that. We had some interviews last couple years ago for the veterans, um, month and they were like yeah hard work pt physical conditioning training um and then that camaraderie with the crews is like what they had with the military is what was similar with um working for blm fire yeah yeah and what i found when just i because i started in fire investigation too i wasn't a wildland firefighter prior or had military experience but um i did have some photography experience from college communication background 
and um, so a lot of report type writing um, just came natural with the writing experience. But um, just learning on the job, I also got to do some firefighting, get on engine crew, got to do work on my hell attack um, crew member position, and got to do some assignments doing that, and then other types of work. So even if yeah, if you're you're looking for firefighting, but maybe something like a support type position comes up, there's opportunities to do yeah. that and firefighting yeah. so that's nice yeah i was with my seasonals this year i was able to get them more fire experience by filling gaps in the engines as people were you know taking leave or or whatever so there's the, you know there's a way to branch out from within as well and prevent fire prevention yeah. fire prevention are fun mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they go hand in hand educational mm-hmm. type events and things yeah you can help do yeah mm-hmm. yeah all, all to support wildland fire management very important positions. Well, in closing, is there anything else you would like to mention? No, just I'm glad that, you know, I kind of can be a third generation fire program kid. And, <laughs> you know, hopefully my kids follow me and you as have well. seven yeah. to maybe follow you. Yeah. Maybe one of them will follow me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> just one. Yeah. Keep on the tradition. And it's a, it's a great mission that the fire program does. And I'm happy to be a part of it. Glad you're here. Um, it, one thing, if you had, I know there's a lot of people that work in fire for a long time. And they're looking for like maybe a transition to something off the engine. Like, what would you, what would you recommend to them coming into fire investigation? Like, any, any suggestions? Um, probably writing. Um, brush up on writing. If you if you um, have a hard time writing, um, if you want to get into investigation or prevention or information or something like that, um, your writing skills would definitely need to be an improvement um, if you don't have them already. Because I always, I told my seasonals this year, you can go out and you can physically determine the cause of every fire, but if you can't put it into words on a paper, you didn't figure out the cause of the fire because that's that's what we're using to substantiate what we found out there. So being able to write technically and well um, is, a, is a high skill that you would want to have. That's good advice. That's excellent advice. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. For our 12th episode, we're in uh, December and we made it to our 12th episode and we will continue next year. But yeah, wrapping up this year, um, so happy you could be here to to describe what fire investigation is because I still am pretty passionate about it. Yeah, hopefully I was sufficient. Yes, (laughs) I think you were sufficient. Um, To learn more about NIFSI or the BLM, please visit our website at www.nifsi.gov. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions for future podcasts, email them by visiting nifsi.gov, the nifsi.gov website, scroll down to the contact use, and use Wildfire Matters Podcasts in the subject line. And remember, follow us at BLM Fire on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thanks for listening. Uh, please join us next time when we spark a conversation with Kelly Woods program lead for the Wildland Lessons Learned Center. And we'll talk a little bit more about the fire year in review. Until Until then, then, stay stay safe and be wildfire wildfire aware. aware.